The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Thank yourself for coming. Thank yourself for prioritizing something important to you. something that contributes to your development. And take a moment to notice if there's some place of holding in your body. If you're sitting slightly crooked and causing your low back to pain or hip or knee. Find a place of comfort and ease. And now that your body is here, our bodies are here, we can engage with the much more difficult task of bringing our minds here. And the even more difficult task of keeping our minds here, keeping them present. So begin by finding your breath and listening to your breathing with curiosity, which requires letting go. How is your breath tonight? Is it easy? Is there stress in it? Does it have a rhythm or flow, or is it still a bit ragged from your hurrying to get here? And notice it by simply listening to and being with your breath. It starts to slow and come into rhythm. And gradually turn your attention to listening to your mind. Is it still at work or whatever you were doing today? Is it worrying still about the rest of the day, tonight, tomorrow? Thinking about what you could have done had you not chosen to be here. Notice what qualities your mind is exhibiting. And call yourself present, bring yourself present. First by force of will and intention, and then by letting go and simply being here.
being here is just like this. body is present, your breath has become present, and notice your mind slowly becoming present, wandering off every now and then and coming back. Notice how aware you are of your body when your mind is present and of your breath when your mind is present. And mostly of neither when your mind is not present. And listen. Listen to my voice, to your neighbor's breathing, to your own breathing. To the sounds outside. All of the aspects of simply being here right now, just like this and allow them all to be. No preferences, no separation. I'm here. This is what here is like. Even the restless quality of my mind, if your mind is restless, or the sad <coughs> quality of your mind, or happy or worried, tender, whatever the quality of your mind is, listen to that quality with an openness, a curiosity, a connection. And when the silence arises, listen to the silence.
Good evening and welcome to IMC. Is this on? Yes. Okay. Um, are there any announcements? We have a newly formed group. <coughs> Sorry, Trudy, is it clear? Yes. Good. Uh, taking care of our Earth. It's called the Earth Care Group at IMC. And one of our first activities is going to be supporting another group in doing some cleaning up of a creek here in Redwood City. This happens every year. It's called Romancing the Creek. That's on Valentine's Day morning, this Saturday. So I have flyers, and I'm this bedraggled person who always stands over there if you have any questions. But it's a very nice activity, and we'll do it again here. Uh, Ayasanta Chita led us a couple of years ago, and we did it. it. We just pick up stuff, garbage that's blocking and going into the, into the bay and the ocean. Thank you. I have a couple announcements. Um, Friday, tomorrow from 7 to 8.30 p.m. is a Mindfulness Parenting Parent Series here. Saturday from 9.30 to 3.30, Introduction to Mindfulness Meditation Day Long with Inez Friedman. Sunday, Dharma Friends Brunch, gather by the kitchen following the morning sitting, and we'll choose a local restaurant to go for lunch, brunch. Sunday from 5 to 6.30 is Mindful Teens. That's a high school group. 7.30 to 9 is At Home in the World Dharma Evenings for people in their 20s and 30s with Max Ernstein. Tuesday from 9.30 to 11, a four-week series with Robert Kusick, uh, Cultivating Mindfulness and Clear Comprehension. Wednesday, 7.30 to 9, Beginner's Practice Group. This group will meet for four Wednesdays. It's for beginners who have taken an introductory mindfulness meditation class and would like to take the next step in building and supporting their practice. Tonight's speaker is Daniel Bowling. He's been with us for the last, this is his fourth um, talk in a series on listening he has a very formal biography, and if it's okay, I would skip it. <laughs> okay. But I would like to say that he is, he is a mediator and a meditation trainer for the U.S. Di District Court for Northern California. He has practiced yoga and meditation since 1976 and participated in Spirit Rock's Community Dharma Leaders Training. And he is currently the president of Spirit Rock Board of Directors and serves on its executive governance, diversity, and ethics and reconciliation committees. Welcome, Daniel. Thanks. And thank you all for being here again tonight. Very honored to see so many familiar faces already. This is from Sonnets to Orpheus by... Rainier Maria Rilke, one of my favorite 
poets, want the change. Want the change. Be inspired by the flame where everything shines as it disappears. The artist, when sketching, loves nothing so much as the curve of the body as it turns away. What locks itself in sameness has congealed. What locks itself in sameness has congealed. Is it safer to be gray and numb? What turns hard becomes rigid and is easily shattered. Pour yourself out like a fountain. Flow into the knowledge that what you are seeking finishes often at the start and with ending begins. These four talks have had for me a single purpose. What does it mean to listen with our entire being, to be formed and transformed by listening? Three weeks ago, we started with what I was pointing to as the first practice into this koan of what it means to be formed and transformed by listening. And that first practice was to give up certainty and become curious. And two weeks ago, we moved from to give up certainty and become curious to becoming connected, listening for our connection to others in life. And then last week, to learn to listen to what is not said, to what is not heard. And tonight, the fourth and final practice, there are no others to whom we listen. Not to. And as last week, before I turn to that fourth practice of not to, I want to review a little bit and remind you of some of the practices I suggested to take on this listening. First, it's important to remember that these practices are a progression. They build on each other. Becoming curious, letting go of certainty, allows me to connect with others. In certainty, I already know. I am separate. I know I don't need to listen. I don't need to feel connected. I know. In curiosity, I can open to connection with you. And I also become curious about life, paying attention to how connected we are with our life or how driven we are by our life, such that our connection is distorted? Are we filled with self-judgment, criticism, so that we can't do anything that's right in our own minds? Letting go of that judgment, letting go of that and noticing that criticism, especially when we're in a difficult conversation and asking ourselves, am I listening right now with certainty or curiosity? Because almost always when I'm judging, 
I'm certain. I already know. So I can form a sense of the way it is. That's the gateway to connection. Letting go of certainty. And learning to notice what feeling separate is like for you. How does it land in your body? In your heart? In the temperature, literally, of your body and your energy? In the rhythm of your heart? The conversation in your mind? When I'm feeling connected with someone, I'm immersed with them. I'm less aware of myself as a separate self. So as this distinction between connection and disconnection begins to clarify as you practice, as you notice it, you'll also begin to see more deeply into the mystery of being connected to life. And I know for me that has been a lifelong struggle. I used to say, for example, that life doesn't come to me, meaning it's a struggle. And so if life doesn't come to me, how am I connected with it? I'm clearly not. I'm disconnected from life. And there was a huge shift about a decade ago when I stopped saying life doesn't come to me and said, hmm, life comes to me. But I had to feel connected first. I had to feel first connected to myself and let go of my certainty about my view of life and myself and others, become curious, open to that connection, start to feel and sense that connection. And then I begin to see things shift. And when we see that things shift is when we begin to step into the third practice. We hear what's not being said, what's not heard. So in relation to my connection or feeling disconnected from life, what I wasn't hearing, literally wasn't hearing, was the way in which life was supporting me. The doors that life was opening to me, which didn't fit my pictures, so I ignored them and went off wandering in the wilderness literally, trying to find the door that was open that I had just walked by on my way out into the briar patch. You've probably never had an experience like that, but I had several, many, over and over again. And mostly that sense of disconnection from life and from others arises because we're not present fully. We don't yet know the distinction of what does it mean to be present fully. That's fundamentally the practice of mindfulness. When I'm mindful, I know where I am. I'm present. I know my breath. I know my body. I hear the sounds in the room. They don't bother me. I'm not being judgmental of them. They're part of my experience right now. Oh, somebody's snoring or somebody's twitching. Whatever it is, I'm just there, present with it. So I suggested some reflective practice as well. Since I've been paying attention to this distinction between certainty and curiosity, the distinction between connection and disconnection, what am I learning about myself? 
What rough percentage of time have I found myself listening from certainty when I'm communicating with someone versus curiosity, from connection rather than disconnection? What drives my need for certainty? Those kind of reflective practices start to open the cracks in the hard conditioning that we have placed on our minds that keep us going back in the same neuronal pathways over and over again and wondering why there's no cheese at the end of the tunnel. So take these not as things to know, these practices, but as questions to live into. And what do I mean by living into a question? I mean literally taking that question with curiosity and exploring it. If I think this way, if I think I'm connected, if I intend connection, if I explore what it feels like, what it means to be connected, what is it? That's living into the question. And I begin to see where I'm not disconnected, where I yearn for connection, where I sort of act weird in order to create connection in an uncomfortable way for myself and others. I begin to explore how I am around that question. So in that way, I live into a question. Learning to listen to what is not heard. I was what, sorry, what is not heard and what is not said. That third practice. Listening into the silence is a good way to start. Obviously, the silence is rich with what we're not hearing. Otherwise, it wouldn't be silent. And when I'm with someone... If there are pauses, do I need to fill them? If there's silence that arises in our conversation with a dear friend or your partner or someone you work with, you're sitting at lunch and suddenly you run out of things to say and there's silence, what do you do? Is there an instinctive rush to fill it with, to try to think of things to say? rather than listening into that silence and what's there that I'm not hearing because I'm filling it with noise. And another is when we're in a meeting or a social gathering to find our breath, quiet our minds, so that we can listen into the silence, the spaces between the words of the people in the meeting. The emotions that flash across their faces. Who's troubled? Who's falling asleep and is disengaged? All without judgment, with curiosity, just searching for what's not being said, what's not being heard in this meeting, in this family gathering, in this association of my friends. The richness of life emerges in that silence. 
This last practice I've been struggling with for 30 years or so, I guess. I came across this little uh, rather worn booklet entitled Verses on the Faith Mind by Sinstong, the third Zen patriot. And I've read it over innumerable times, knowing that I had not a clue what it meant, thinking, oh, I get what that means, and then coming back to it a few years later and thinking, I still don't have a clue what that means. Living into it instead. Obviously, our talking and listening are inextricably entwined. And the Buddha taught, as I've said, I began this, these four weeks ago, that there are five aspects of speech. This is something you've heard many times, probably, if you've been coming to IMS a lot. IMC, I'm sorry. Five aspects of speech by which others may address you. Timely or untimely, true or false, affectionate or harsh, beneficial or unbeneficial, and with a mind of goodwill or with inner hate. In any event, the Buddha said, you should train yourselves. Our minds will be unaffected and we will say no evil words we will remain sympathetic to that person's welfare with a mind of goodwill, with no inner hate. We will keep pervading her with an awareness imbued with goodwill. And beginning with him, we will keep pervading everyone in the world with an awareness of goodwill, abundant, expansive, immeasurable, free from hostility. Thus we should train ourselves. So those are the well-known five aspects of what the Buddha called wise speech. There are five don'ts and there are five do's. The don'ts can be described as lying, hurtful speech intended to divide, harsh speech, idle speech or gossip, and untimely speech, saying something that given the circumstances isn't appropriate right then. And then the five do's, intending to be supportive, a mind of loving kindness, truthfulness, kindness, helpfulness, connected with good, timely. Those guidelines apply not just to how we speak to ourselves and others. Since our talking and listening are entwined, they're also the five aspects of wise listening. So, for example, if I were to practice listening with you, would I notice, I would notice, whether I have an intention to be supportive when you're speaking. So you're saying whatever you're saying, and my mind's wandering off, and it's not paying any attention to you at all. And I notice that. Clearly, I don't have an intention to be supportive. I'm bored by what you're saying. So I bring it back and I intentionally call forth the intention to be supportive. 
I choose not to be at the effect of my mind or the circumstances or you by allowing whatever you're saying or however I'm feeling about you to determine how my intention is manifesting. That's going down the well-worn grooves of our mind that we have trained over and over and over by our attitudes and our dislikes and our preferences. Instead, I intentionally call forth supportive thoughts. I listen with support, no matter what's being said. Ooh. Whether I like it or not, I listen with an intent to be supportive. And I listen with truthfulness. This is especially where the third practice of listening for what's not being said and what's not being heard arises. Because very often, when we pay attention to the truthfulness of our listening, we discover that what's not being said is that we are disagreeing in our minds with what the other person, what we're listening to, or we're correcting it and saying, no, that's not true. That's not the way it is internally. But we're not saying that out loud. We're just thinking it and imagining that our thoughts and what's happening to us energetically has no effect at all on this other person. And we wonder why we all have those moments of feeling so disconnected. Because we all do exactly that. We don't listen with truthfulness, with an intention to support. I know there have been times in my life when I have been lonely, when I felt that I didn't have many friends, where I felt that I just didn't know how to connect with people. And I look back at those times from the place of having learned these wonderful teachings of the Buddha and realize how judgmental I was being when I listened to people, how sharp and harsh my tongue was, how unkind I could speak, how arrogant I could be. And then wondered why I didn't have any friends that I wasn't connected And here I was, a Harvard-trained lawyer, but I couldn't put that simple thing together. It's because we have habituated our minds in certain ways. And that's the beauty of the practice of mindfulness. We begin to notice those habitual patterns, and the Buddha gave us guidance to train our minds in a different way. Literally, just as we would train a dog to heal just as we would train our sweet little child to pick up a spoon and put the food in her mouth instead of throwing it. Those simple things. So listen with an intention to support, listen with truthfulness, and notice whether we're listening with kindness. Is our heart filled with compassion and concern for the speaker and ourselves if they're speaking harshly towards us? Can we listen with kindness, 
no matter what's being said and no matter what the effect is on us, can we hold the space of kindness? And for the situation that we're in, that's calling forth whatever we're hearing that's harsh. So listening with an intention to support, listen with truthfulness, listen with kindness and helpfulness. Are we reacting negatively to what's being said or is our intention to be helpful? To be responsive in a way that we help move the conversation forward, the situation forward. And finally, is our listening timely? Are we there? Or has she said something, we've reacted to it, and we've gone back to the third grade? Or we've gone back to that time several years ago when my sister did this to me, and here she is doing it to me again. Are we going back to the time our boss said something so hurtful and we were so embarrassed that we've never gotten over it? Or are we fully present? Can we notice that reactivity and in that moment practice our mindfulness? Connect with our body, connect with our breath, intentionally call forth. Don't expect that the intention to support just arises. We have to call it forth. And don't expect that listening truthfully just arises. We have to practice it. Are we distorting what we're hearing? Are we correcting it? Are we listening with kindness, with helpfulness, and timely? So it's a lifelong practice. And that means, from my perspective, that it's okay to be in development. We really don't allow ourselves very much to be in development. We're either bad or we have to be really good. And if we can't be really good, we just sort of give up and accept that we're no good or we're bad or whatever judgment we have about ourselves. What about that space between being not so good and being really skilled at something? That's a space called development. It's the space of training wheels on a bicycle. It's a space of practicing. It's a space of acknowledging, hey, I just made a mistake. I'm in development. Good for me for acknowledging that I made a mistake and that I'm in development and that I'm going to, my intention is to support, my intention is to do better, and I just didn't quite fulfill it that, at this moment, but it's still there. And because I didn't do it, I don't then say, oh, this is impossible, this is hard, I can't do it. Let me just go back to being zoned out and forget about it all. So, with those practices, we start to open up this mystery that there are no others to whom we listen. Because, let's face it, most of the time when I'm listening to you, I'm listening to you through me. In fact, all of the time that I'm listening to you, I'm listening to you through me. And either one of two things are happening. 
either I make up because I'm reacting or I like what you're saying, I make up that it's all about me, that what you're saying is all about me, you're projecting onto me, you're making up stuff about me, or oh, I like it, that sounds really nice, you're saying nice things about me and it's definitely all about me, ooh, this is cool. <clears throat> or, or I'm not paying attention when it's clearly about them because I'm projecting onto them that they're making it about me. So either I take it to be all about me because I want it that way or if they're saying things that I don't quite get or that sound mysterious and I think, oh, there's something they're not saying. They're resisting being really truthful. It must be about me. It's got to be about me. So our judgmentalness, our insecurity, has things that people say be about me. Because we are hooked by anatta, that it's after all all about Daniel anyway. Whether people come to the talk is about him. If they come to the talk, it's about him. If they don't come to the talk, it's about him. If they do come to the talk and they like the talk, it's about him. If they don't like the talk, it's about him. If he does a good talk, it's about him. If he doesn't do a good talk, it's about him. Isn't that the way our mind works? Because that's anatta at work. It's all about me. And so how can I ever, ever listen to it? Please hear this. How can I ever, have I ever, wow, Whew. have I ever really listened to anyone because it's always about me. Because I am so caught by anatta, that the self, the mystery of that separate self, that there is this separate self called Daniel, what you say, how you say it, I take as always about me in some negative or some positive way or some neutral way, depending upon whether I like it or I don't like it or I don't really care about it at all. So we don't listen to another because we make it about me. So that's kind of one half of this not to. It's the not-to part that's really confronting to realize that we're only mostly listening to our own minds and we're translating what others ha are saying <clears throat> in ways that we can accept or reject because it's all about me.
whenever I experience myself as separate and apart, I am necessarily creating the sense of the individual self known as Daniel. And that means I'm creating the individual self known as you that's separate and apart from me. And how many times do we say about someone when we're sitting around talking about people, that's just the way she is. Why are you acting so surprised? Isn't that just like him? She does or says things like that all the time. I know exactly what she would say or do. We hold people into a permanent, fixed place that we have created a separate self called Jane or Sue or Sam or Doug or Don or whoever it is. We have created them in a certain way. We know how they are. And so when they speak to us, we don't hear what it is they're saying with the inflection and heart or lack of heart or intelligence or lack of intelligence with which they're speaking because we already know who they are so we're listening through the dawn that we've created. When was the last time you listened to someone in your life who was important in your life and you had them in a certain way, especially someone that's a difficult person for you, as if you did not know them newly, as if they were a stranger who was just coming up and you were meeting them. Oh, hi, Don. Nice to meet you internally. That's uncertainty. That's curiosity. I wonder who this person is. I know how I've got them constructed to be, and I hold them permanently that way, and I create them as a separate self, and then I wonder why I suffer in the relationship. All three of the characteristics that the Buddha taught that are the root of all things those three, right there in the daily interactions of our life, not in some theological place, but in the daily actions of our life. I suspect that I've read this book at least a thousand times, seriously. And I'm certain I... I am certain that I don't know it. But I've had the chutzpah to teach from it for 30 years, so why stop now? Maybe one day I'll figure it out. In this world of suchness, there is neither self nor other than self. So, take what I just said. When was the last time you listened to someone as if you did not know them, with uncertainty, with curiosity? Sin Stang was saying in the Zen paradoxical way, 
in this way, in this world of just as it is, there is neither Daniel nor not Daniel to come directly into harmony with this reality. Just simply say when doubt arises, not to. So when I'm interacting with you and I'm sitting over here in Danielness and I'm putting you over there in Samness or Sallyness, there's two, apparently, but not really, because I've constructed both of them. I've constructed Daniel and I've constructed who I see you to be. But if I just say, Sin Stong taught, not to, my mind goes on tilt. And that's a good thing. I've put my mind on tilt. I've forced myself to acknowledge the craziness with which I interact with my constructed realities of myself and you. And I've said, oh, it's just this. Not to. In this not to, nothing is separate. Nothing is excluded. Everything is there. Just suchness. Just as it is. No matter where or when, enlightenment means entering this truth. And I promise you I'm not there. But that's the way there. So, as we practice listening, it is essential to allow others and all aspects of life to be just as they are in their suchness and to be in tune with the harmony of things, meaning we are learning to release our preferences for people, things, and life to be the way we want them to be rather than the way they are. So I notice that I've created a separate Daniel and a separate you, and I notice that I'm not liking you, or I notice I'm not liking the way Daniel's being, and I go, not to, not to. And I just allow it to be a mystery. And I become curious about that mystery. And I listen with uncertainty because it's a mystery. I no longer know. I've let go of knowing. And I then become connected with you. The separation goes because I'm no longer certain. I'm not holding on to the you that I constructed or the me that I constructed. I'm just being there with it just as it is, just as you are. Letting it be that way. Practicing accepting people, things, and life without privileging my preference. I, we privilege our preference for the way I, you, all of it should be. And when our preferences are met, we're happy. When they're not met, we're sad. But in either place... We haven't allowed it to be just as it is without preference. We can still have them 
I like chocolate ice cream and I don't have any intention of giving it up. However, if there's just vanilla, I can still be okay. I can still be, oh, this is the way it is right now. It's vanilla ice cream. Now, that's obviously a simple and kind of foolish example, but what if we did that with each other? Instead of having each other have to be a certain way that we prefer in order for me to be happy, the ego of it, the hubris of it, but we do it to each other all the time and then we wonder why we're in such craziness on this planet. Can we notice our internal thoughts, ideas, perspective while focusing our energy and awareness on the other? Or does our internal listening dominate? Are we so wrapped up in listening inside our own heads that we can't just come out and have the courage and fearlessness to come out into the unknownness of it all without certainty. If I can just do that simple move, my mind gets quiet, I stop listening to Daniel and I actually hear you. It's amazing to me in the mediations that I conduct. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twenty people in the room. Sally says something. And I can watch the reactions around the room. Like, dislike, falling asleep, getting angry. And she's saying the same thing but the wave around the room of the different perceptions of what Sally is saying are stunning. And many times I've said exactly what Sally said, phrased just a little differently, and watched the room, and those same waves of dislike, discomfort, anger aren't present. It's astounding. But that's the mystery of not to. Because I'm not Sally for those people. So all the projections that have been laid on Sally aren't laid on me. So when I speak, it's not Sallyness that's being heard. It's this neutral Daniel. And things change. Miracles happen. Hates are gone. Prejudices drop away. People find their hearts again. And each one of us can do that every day in all of our relations if we simply practice, simply practice. Oh yes, if it were simple. Just begin with uncertainty. Just take on uncertainty for the next two or three years. Forget about everything else I've said. (laughs) Really, I mean it. 
Forget about everything else I've said. Just live with uncertainty about what people are saying, what they mean, what you're saying, what it means, with curiosity. Tell me more about that. What does that mean to you? How does, why does that matter to you? What's important about that to you, to you? Help me understand what you mean by that. Rather than the reactivity and the closeness and the clenching of the heart and the pulling away because we know what they mean. And it's about me. And I don't like it. Just start there. And notice that as you come from that curiosity and uncertainty, the feeling of connectedness, the texture of it, starts to become more apparent to you. The awareness of it, or its absence. And when you notice its absence, look at your mind and see whether you're in knowing, the one who knows, or you're in uncertainty. This is T.S. Eliot from the Four Quartets. The ending of the Four Quartets, as a matter of fact. With the drawing of this love and the voice of this calling, we shall not cease our exploration. This is a lifelong trip, if we're lucky. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Hot damn, I finally figured it out. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Took me a long time, but I finally realized I'm here. Oh, it's about time to leave, but I'm here. (laughs) Through the unknown, remembered gate. The unknown, remembered gate. The paradox. You, me, as separate beings that I'm creating, the construct of an anatta, how it works, is that I listen to you constantly through me. So then, in this negative way, there's not two. Because all I'm ever hearing is me. And remembering and switching to a place where there's still not two, but it's not two because all I'm hearing is you. And you're me. Through when the last of earth left to discover is that which was the beginning at the source of the longest river, the voice of the hidden waterfall, and the children in the apple tree, not known because not looked for, but heard, half heard in the stillness between two waves of the sea. Quick now, here now, always. Quick, now, here, now, always. Suchness. This is the way it is. This is it. Right here in this moment is all there is or ever will be always. This. This is all we ever know except the projections and wanderings of our minds. This is all we know. 
a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. And all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, when the tongues of flame are enfolded into the crown knot of fire, and the fire and the rose are one. There it all is. Right here, right now, it's all here. Let go of the unis that is separate. Let go of the projection onto me of the meanness that is separate. Just in the suchness of not to. Listen to me as you and to you as me. And open. It's safe there. We're okay there. The heart is there. I'd love to hear if any of you have been playing with curiosity and uncertainty and you've discovered something, or if you have a question. Right here. I just want to say um, thank you for your teaching. Um, as someone said to me, um, uh, um, what's that? Is it on? Oh, I have to put it right here? Okay, it's on. Uh, I just want to thank you for your teaching. Um, and it was this word that came up for me, but I can't think of it. I got a um, blank in my mind. It's okay. Um, Your mind's doing really well. But I, I want to say, too, that um, I'm grateful for you saying development, that I'm developing, because that word came up for me a couple weeks ago, and, and, I, and I started saying that. And so um, it registered with me. It Great. resonated with me to say that I'm developing. Yes. Because I know that as I was growing up, I missed things. So I like the way that goes about saying I'm developing. Yes. And um, how I've been practicing your teachings for the last four weeks is that um, a cousin came over tonight and she wasn't in a good place. And people are always judging her and talking about her. Um, but I loved her. Mm. And it didn't matter about what she said or the place that she's at. I loved her and I supported her. Good for and, you. Um, and I looked at it, like you said, in it being uncertain. Huh. And I was curious because I found out some really lovely things about her that uh-huh. no one probably can see. Yes. And as I was doing my practice tonight, a lot of emotions came up because I was processing her. Yes the love that I have for her. Yes. And also what came up for me was a noble truth of generosity. And sometimes we look at generosity as money and as giving, you know, um, tangible. Yes. But generosity is 
what we give, what you were talking about. That's generosity. What and, I, you and, did. I, and I was crying in my, in my practice because I want more of that. Yes. Not just to be noticed about what I give or that people see me for, oh, I gave this amount of money or something. But the generosity that's in my heart. Beautiful. Thank Beautiful. you. Thank, Thank you, you for being generous with us tonight. Hello. Um, today um, uh, is my birthday, and uh, well, happy birthday! <laughs> and um, my mom called me to wish me a happy birthday. And um, she was like, uh, wait a minute, Laura, who is my sister, who is over at my mom's house, was there. She said, oh, Laura wants to talk to you. And I was chatting more with my mom. Oh, Laura wants to talk to you. In the back of my mind, I was like, okay, I know what, she's, what she wants to say. She wants me to take my mom to do something, right? And I knew that. Hmm. So Laura gets on the phone, and what she says, happy birthday. <laughs> Mm. But I realized that made me realize, okay, uh, yeah, I'm coming from knowing instead of uncertainty. uh, Wonderful, wonderful example. And you noticed it. Fabulous. And so you listen to your sister differently. Right. And yourself differently. Good for you. Beautiful. This begins, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. (laughs) So that's, oh, a question, okay. It's more a comment and uh, expression of gratitude for your teaching, but um, in terms of going from certainty to just being open and curious, I think that's going to stand me in good stead because... I'm going through a divorce, and on Monday I'll be meeting with the man I've been married to and our tax person, and that's mm-hmm. usually not a happy situation. Really? But I'm going to be just open and curious about how, and how it works out. So thank you so much. Bless you. Many of us have been there. <laughs> <laughs> For me, unfortunately, several times. I must, I'm generally a slow learner. Thank you so much. Let's sit for a moment. And just allow a wave of the comfort of uncertainty to sweep through your body. We hold certainty as safety and comfort. And actually, it's uncertainty where we're safe 